Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Coffee with a Shot of Cynicism. I'm Eleni. I'm Jeffrey. And today it is the season finale of season four and of the podcast. We're discussing raincoats and recipes today. Indeed. Episode 22. The final episode of the season. It's been a long season. It has, especially since this was the first season where I think there was very minimal filler. So for us discussing and analyzing it, it stretched out much longer. We had a lot of analysis this season. I'm proud of us. <laughs> I'm proud too. Also, I, I also just think it was fu- it was more interesting to analyze over time as opposed to cramming it all into different like different episode timelines as we've done in previous seasons. Right. Yeah. No, but I think there was just much more substance this season too. There was a lot more to say. There is you know. no argument for me. <laughs> yeah, it's been uh, it's been a long season. I've had fun. And <laughs> oh, I've had fun too. <laughs> not so far. We're still this episode. We might have a few tricks up our sleeve, but for now, um, we're going to talk about the final season. But before we do that, you mean Jeffrey you mean, has the, fin- you mean, you mean the finale, season. not the final season, right? Jesus Christ, I'm sorry. The final episode of the season is what I meant to say. <laughs> Before we do that, Jeffrey has some stuff he wants to talk about. Uh, yes. Uh, more like, a, this is actually a hot topic, not some random ass topic I pulled out of my hat. Um, even though even though you all messaged us saying that my, my random topics are interesting, which I appreciate. Thank you. Um, today I wanted to talk a bit about Scarlett Johansson's lawsuit against Disney, which I guess kind of feels like old news now, even though it hasn't been that long. It's only been a few weeks, but, you know, in the social media age, what's a hot topic today is old news tomorrow. Um, So for those, I mean, it's pretty much everybody knows, but for those who don't know, uh, Scarlett Johansson, star of Black Widow, has um, filed a lawsuit against Disney for breach of contract. Um, basically because in her contract, a dual release in both theaters and on Disney Plus was not a thing. And so essentially she's uh, filing for grievances and loss of revenue from the streaming release, which um, makes sense when you think about it. But at the time that the news broke of the lawsuit, the way that most media outlets were spinning it, or not even spinning it, but were like covering it, was that Carl Johansson is filing a lawsuit against Disney because they're not paying her enough. And so I pulled up an article from Variety that I had read to my mother when I was telling her about the whole debacle because the way that it first came across on Twitter was just that was, oh, Scarlett Johansson is suing Disney because she's not making enough money or you know, like something like that, which at first glance seems like, oh, well, screw her. She's already a millionaire, et cetera, you know. Um, so this article from Variety is from July 29th uh, titled Disney Fires Back as Scarlett Johansson Calls Black Widow Lawsuit Sad and Distressing, which reads the Walt Disney Company clapped back at Black Widow star Scarlett Johansson, slamming the actress's brief breach of contract lawsuit for showing, quote, callous disregard for the horrific and prolonged global effects of the of the COVID-19 pandemic, which a lot of other uh, news outlets referred to as an out-of-character response from Disney. Usually Disney is not as, uh, I don't know, vocal with words like callous disregard and horrific and prolonged global effects. Seems a bit, uh, like, a bit pointed, shall we say. 
Um, so it says, in a court filing, Johansson said Disney's decision to send the Marvel movie to Disney Plus at the same time it was released in theaters cost her millions of dollars in back-end compensation. Those bonuses were tied to hitting box office benchmarks that Black, Wi- that Black Widow likely won't achieve. Disney is countering that it complied with the terms of Johansson's deal t- to star in the Avengers spinoff film. There is no merit whatsoever to this filing, Disney said in an unusually fiery statement. The lawsuit is especially sad in distressing its cause, disregard, et cetera, as I already said. The company went on to state that, that the star has already received $20 million for her work and argued that the release of Black Widow on Disney Plus with Primera Access has significantly enhanced her ability to earn additional compensation on top of the $20 million she has received to date. Disney did not provide any information about whether or not Johansson's pact was renegotiated so that she could share in streaming re- rental revenue. So from what I can glean from uh, most of the news coverage is that Disney is kind of spinning it as any money that um, would have been lost in theaters and in box offices because of theaters and cinemas being closed in different parts of the world because of the pandemic, she will more than make up for in streaming revenue. But I'm thinking that there was no clause or fine print in her con- original contract covering streaming re- streaming re- streaming revenue because at the time that wasn't really much of a concern because it was probably pre-pandemic when that was negotiated. So anyway, all of that to say, all of the news coverage at the time made, it just kind of made it seem like, oh, Scarlett Johansson is complaining because she's not she's like them like the millionaire is complaining because she's not getting enough millions kind of thing and so my mom who has been a frontline worker during this crisis for like more than nine, 95 percent of the time like her immediate response was outrage obviously because the way the news was covering it was again like millionaire pri- privileged white millionaire is not making like disregarding the prolonged effects of the global pandemic, as they said. So I then found a Tumblr, a post on Tumblr when I was scrolling through a few days later that I also wanted to share because I find it kind of clarifies things in terms of what the lawsuit is really addressing that most news outlets wouldn't really get to. So someone wrote, I simply cannot feel sorry for multimillionaire Scarlett Johansson only earning 20 million instead of 30 million or whatever the fuck, because Disney recognized that large parts of the world still can't safely go to the cinema on account of the deadly pandemic and release Black Widow on Disney Plus at the same time as in theaters. But then I also support anyone suing Disney for any reason. So you see my dilemma. And then someone else responded saying the case isn't really about Scarlett Johansson. It's about setting precedent for the way actors are paid when content is released on screening services going forward. And Scarlett Johansson is pretty unique in her position of both having a valid case for breach of contract and having a large enough platform following in wealth that suing Disney won't completely destroy her and her career. She offered to renegotiate her contract at the point the decision to release Disney on, on Disney Plus was made and Disney refused. And that is what led to the case. The overwhelming majority of actors, even actors working for Disney, are not millionaires. I know that because I am a jobbing actor and I earn less in a year than any, than either of my siblings, both of whom have office jobs. When you get a film or television job, in addition to what you're paid at the time, you also get something that in the UK is called royalty fees and in the US is called residuals. This occurs when the show or film is shown or, or licensed on another network or channel and almost always for a set period of time, although Netflix has started to buy the rights to small indie films outright. 
Royalty checks can be hilariously small. A friend I trained once got one for two pounds because their show had been li- had just been licensed to be shown on a Thai TV network, but more often they are a lifeline for actors. Most actors work minimum wage jobs in between acting gigs, and when you also have the, the cost of headshots, self-tape equipment, travel to auditions, and lost wages whenever you have to take time off to prep and travel to auditions, you understand why equity wages are so high for individual jobs, because that one episode in a soap, you got paid, and it gives different amounts in different uh, currencies for minus 10 to 20% of your agent, could be your wage for two, for two months, and you could be could be considered a fairly successful working actor, even if it was your only acting job in that time period. The case isn't about multi-million, isn't about a multimillionaire quibbling over how many millions she's being paid, although it's likely that Black Widow had a pre-pandemic release, Scarlett Johansson would have been paid closer to 200 million than the 20 million than the 20 million she's being paid now. Although Disney is pushing that angle hard, so I fully understand why you've fallen into that propaganda trap. It's one of the very few opportunities for actors, screenwriters, cinematographers, directors, and all the other hundreds of creatives involved in the filmmaking process to start to challenge some of the status quo with streaming services and really ask questions about how royalties work in the future. There's a reason that the unions are backing the case and that's why they, and that's because the other way around, breach of contract is a huge deal. There can be penalties of hundreds of thousands of dollars for contract breaches, often on jobs where you're paid a fraction of that. And believe me, Netflix, Disney, Amazon, Universal, all pursue those, all pursue those payments. And in certain circumstances, even go out of their way to blacklist the artist. If breach of contract is a big deal when actors and other creatives do it, it should be just as big a deal when, when studios do it because it, um, but it isn't because capitalism is rarely about re- rewarding artists and all about bottom line profit. This case has the potential to really change things and help millions of ordinary jobbing actors and creatives. I'm 100% on Scarlett Johansson's side with this, and any reasonable person who cares about the well-being of artists should be too. Thoughts? <laughs> okay, that was a lot. <laughs> a lot, yes. <laughs> Lots of information. <laughs> yeah, um... I don't know. I tend to go on the side of, like, I don't give a fuck because it is a global pandemic. Mm-hmm. Um, and because, you know, the movie was supposed to be released in 2020. Yes. Obviously, there was no cause in her contract for a global pandemic. Mm-hmm. And I think they went ahead with releasing it in 2021 because we don't know. And they took the the route of, um, you know, releasing it on a streaming platform with additional money because we obviously don't know what's going to happen. Cases are going up again around the world. And even though theaters just opened, well, not just, but maybe like three weeks ago here, um, you know, it's not, they could close tomorrow kind of thing, you know? Mm -hmm. So I think... um, at a certain point, you have to make a decision. Yeah. Like a lot of um, production companies have made with a lot of movies. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also understand that it's it's not about the money per se. It's about pe- being paid for your work. Yeah. And for the value of your work. And mm-hmm. we're obviously glossing over the fact that this happened to a woman as well. Yeah. Um, you know, because I don't think that if it was 
listen, I think she got her money, right? You made your money. Um, yeah. I think it's more of like, that's what I mean. I think people are folk. I think the, the propaganda that this person mentioned is like that, uh, ma- like mainstream news outlets are going to obviously make it about money before anything else. But, and I don't know, I don't know, I don't know Scarlett Johansson personally, so I can't say, but like, I would assume she's kind of going from the, from the position of artists wanting to be compensated properly and fairly as well as obviously like, I'm guessing she need like, She's not, uh, uh, you know, opposed to getting more money, I'm sure. But, like, I think she's also concerned with artists being compensated. No, for sure. And I think um, it, it opens up a new door for a bigger conversation about compensation for artists in general. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I just, I, I find it a little weird that, um, you know, we're talking about her being greedy and you know trying to negotiate her contract like it's why you know hundreds of actors have renegotiated their contracts to get what they want you know the friend stars famously negotiated one million dollars per episode in their final season you know what i mean and everyone was like damn good for them and they're getting residuals you know what i mean like why she's just fighting for what she thinks she's worth you know what i mean yeah um i understand that the 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 pandemic kind of complicates matters for people where people are just i think we just don't have the mental bandwidth to deal with this anymore exactly because we've been dealing with so much other shit that we're like why do we give a fuck about disney and a millionaire you know what i mean i think that's the problem in all of this Mm -hmm. but i think if it was any other time well that's a, that's another problem. It couldn't be any other time because it is the time that it is because of the pandemic. So final thoughts for me, I don't actually care. Yeah. yeah, it's like, would it be this big? Would it be this big of a case or of a news item if it weren't a woman? Definitely not. Yeah. Um, I did want to share one last uh, comment that someone wrote. I won't read the whole thing because it too is very long. Um, there is this refer. They refer to Scarlett Johansson as Scar Joe to make things shorter. Um, so they wrote, you know how an elderly lady got third degree burns to a horrifying percentage of her body because McDonald's was serving coffee and next to boiling temperatures and the lid came off her cup and spilled all over her and she wanted McDonald's to pay for her medical fees which were, which to her were astronomical, but to a mega corporation like McDonald's was a raindrop in the ocean. And instead mm-hmm. of just paying the med bills for this woman, they went out of their way to deride her and besmirch her and turn the story into her der dumb American didn't know hot bears are hot. And that's the version of, ever, of events everyone remembers, having been successfully distracted from the truth of the matter by a, target, by a targeted, vicious, loud propaganda campaign by McDonald's. Well that's, well, that's exactly what Disney is doing with this. With this, ScarJo is being horribly insensitive about the global pandemic we're in, and there we were me- we were me- merely being socially co- conscientious and kind of people by letting them stream our movies instead of having to go to the cinema for them. Campaign. This suit isn't actually about ScarJo, quite aside from the fact that it is a breach of contract to a dual release, and not and not hand over any of the profits from the streaming release which she is absolutely entitled to. It's actually about every single actor and writer and voice actor, et cetera, that has similar contracts with with production companies, most of whom do not have the resources that ScarJo has. So it's like, like you said, opening up, opening up a bigger conversation about compensation for all artists who most likely don't have the platform and, millionaire, and millions of dollars that ScarJo Johansson already has. 
So to make it about just, oh, millionaire, insensitive millionaire, white millionaire who wants, you know, more more millions during a global pandemic doesn't care. Like that is the news propaganda that everyone is referring to here because it's not about that. But like you said, everyone is just tired, doesn't have the mental or emotional bandwidth to deal anymore. So it's easy to fall into that trap. And the person goes on to say, like, don't, you know, don't fall into that because guess what? It's working. People aren't, people aren't, aren't huge fans of ScarJo for a range of reasons, but mostly people are falling prey to this propaganda campaign. Don't do that. Don't be the person who thinks an old woman who wants her crazy high medical bills paid because she was handed a poorly secured cup of boiling water is actually just a money grabbing idiot. Don't be the person who spreads Disney's we're the good guys and it's actually bullshit. Don't fall for it. This whole thing is so much bigger than ScarJo, which it is. Okay. So, <laughs> two things. Mm-hmm. I think the woman who wanted her medical bills paid um, because the U.S. has a bullshit healthcare system. Yeah. That's that can't be equated to this. Um, no, obviously not. But I think the way the because, person. Because. Because I think that. I just think they're two separate issues. I understand what the person's trying to say, but I think they're two separate issues. And then the second thing is. Um, let's be completely honest with each other. Scarlett Johansson didn't bring a lawsuit to Disney to be like, well, it's because even if I lose, at least I open the door for all the lesser actors. Like, shut up. She didn't do it for that, right? No. She's probably motivated by the money, but then at least the consequences for other people is like, well, okay, at least we're having that conversation about everyone else. She doesn't give a fuck about the little guy. She wants her money. Well, yes, but, like, we don't know her personally. We don't know that she didn't say that. (laughs) No, I understand. But, I mean, like, she didn't bring... Let's be honest. She didn't bring a lawsuit because she wants to help every single struggling actor out there. Oh, no, of course not. She brought a lawsuit because she thought she was... Which is fine, by the way. I'm not not saying she shouldn't. You should be paid what you think you're worth. You you made a movie. You were supposed... You know, you think there's injustice because your male colleagues wouldn't have been treated like... I understand all of that. Don't get me wrong. But to sit here and say that, like, well, she's doing a good thing for all the other lesser... Like, no, she's not thinking about that, okay? (laughs) Maybe she is, but more than likely she's not. Yeah, like... (laughs) I just think, uh, like, honestly, it's been almost two years of this goddamn pandemic, and I don't give a fuck about Disney and Marvel movies and whether Scarlett Johansson made $21 million or $20 million. Like, fuck off. Yeah, and like, in, definitely in the grand scheme of things, it means very little to you and me. Um, I just wanted to bring up what those people have written, because obviously they have the perspective of having been working actors who don't have the money or resources that Scarlett Johansson does. So I think uh, people like that on the internet were coming from a perspective of, this lawsuit, despite despite its true intentions, as you said, it's probably Scarlett Johansson just wanting the money that she wants, which is fine. But I think people like that, who like working actors who don't have the platform or resources are seeing a bit of a, maybe a, a light at the end of the tunnel, may, meaning maybe because of this lawsuit, regardless of the intentions, they'll have an easier time of it. So yeah. if that does end up being the case, good for them. Good for them. But I mean, I don't think like, we should be praising Scarlett Johansson. Anyways, whatever. 
I don't care. Not to say I don't care about the topic. Like, it's a very interesting topic. But at the end of the day, it's like, I have so many other things. Me and the average person, we have so many other things to think about, Mm -hmm. um, you know, in these times that, like, I think that's why also it becomes old news so fast is because there's so much other shit going on in the world that, like, you want me to care about your contract with Marvel? (laughs) Like just go with your baby and your husband and be happy like i don't want yeah considering she she, she just gave birth recently right so yeah so (laughs) whatever it's by the way i'm not hating on her it's just like i don't like i said i don't have the bandwidth the mental bandwidth to deal with this yeah the world is fucking burning the un's saying we're all gonna fucking die there's taliban in afghanistan pandemic cases are going up like fuck scarjo like (laughs) you know that's pretty much what my mom said too was like out of like to justify was just like out of all the things you have to worry about where does this rank and also don't make it about money and if like you know what i mean if if the case as as this as these people suggest is going to be about much larger than just money then don't make it sound like that money's the only the only goal but again we don't know because we don't know scarlett johansson we probably never will, unfortunately. So unfortunately. after I just said fuck Scarlett Johansson, that's never happening. So yeah, she's never coming on the podcast. She's never coming on the podcast. Yeah, I'm sure she's lovely. I just I I can't deal. <laughs> One last thing about Scarjo, though, I continuously forget that she is married to Colin Jost from Saturday Night Live, and every time I see a picture of them together, I'm like, how? What? Who? who how is this a match? Anyway. That's, that's not my business man funny guy <laughs> funny guys know what they're doing apparently <laughs> uh anyways whatever i hope things work out for her but i mean like in terms of women not getting paid enough there's actual women not getting paid enough in the world yeah. um for doing like backbreaking labor um mm-hmm. i care a little bit more about that you know but anyways let us move on to the season finale of season four. Upwards and onwards. Upwards and onwards. Um, I know last week I talked about the episode title and how it was so deep. I got all philosophical on you guys about the episode title. I looked, I looked, I kept digging for like meaning in this title, you know. I thought it was beautifully done because it made reference to so many dynamics in the show. This week, it's almost as if the writers ran out of steam. Yeah. <laughs> This episode was so dialogue heavy that when it came time to naming the episode, they had nothing left to give. Pretty much. Um, so the episode title is Raincoats and Recipes. And I don't get why. You don't get why? You, I think it's it's pretty self-explanatory at this point that Jeffrey and titles uh, don't don't go. So if you want to explain it to me, please do. No, so that's the thing. I um, when I watched the episode. I I always had my suspicions as to what at least part of the episode meant. Um, so to some extent, I knew or kind of knew that they were hinting at Rory and Dean doing the deed. Mm-hmm. Because raincoat is a slang term for condom. <laughs> ah, yes. Okay. Me and my uh, kindergarten brain didn't pick up on that. Yeah, but honest to God, it took me years to figure that out. Okay. <laughs> yeah, no, I had no idea. But I have absolutely no idea what the recipe part is referring to and it was bugging me so much that I actually went looking on the interwebs um and I found a reddit thread 
Of course you did. Where people like me also got into a debate about what the title uh, meant and what exactly the recipe part is referring to. So there was pretty much consensus that raincoat was referring to condom, which is Mm -hmm. fine. But then the recipe part, some people said it was referring to um, recipe for disaster. Okay. So the Emily and Richard storyline, Sugi hiring too many waiters, Lorelai being nervous around Luke, Jason showing up, and Rory and Dean. Uh, other people thought it was referring to recipe for success, so the inn having a successful test run, um, and referring specifically to the the scene where Suki, Lorelai, and Michelle are in the kitchen, and they're saying, I think this is going to work, you know? Mm-hmm. And also um, referring to Luke saying, I did exactly what the book said, so almost as if he was following a recipe for success in the relationship. Right. Um. I think it was a nice alliteration. Mm-hmm. They just said, fuck it, let's go, we're out of time. <laughs> no, really, because, like, I don't know. There was no consensus on the internet about what it meant, and everyone was kind of... It's a head-scratcher, for sure. Um, I don't know what I they think, were... I think there's a few episodes that are head-scratchers in terms of titles. Even even the ones that we've, like, that we've given our own theories, it's, like, it's I think it's left up, purposely left up to the imagination. I mean, I like to think I'm a little bit better at naming our episodes. <laughs> Probably, because she doesn't take my suggestions because they're terrible, so... Oh, it's... No, I'm kidding. <laughs> but it's just, it's like... Ugh. It seems very frustrating. Honestly, in the grand scheme of things, I really don't care. But um, that's the title of the episode. I don't give a fuck. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, in the grand scheme of things, like, you know... I think when people realize that this episode is, like, an answer to their prayers with the Lorelai and Luke storyline, I don't really think, like, how many people are really paying attention to the episode title? But for the purposes of analysis, it's really fucking bugging me. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Like, if, it, if, it, if the recipes is referring to either recipe for disaster or recipe for success, like, that would require, as you did, some research and google searching and reddit threads to find someone telling you that maybe it's referring to recipe for disaster and success because just looking at it either on the screen or on a page it's like mm, recipes i'm thinking like food not recipe yeah. for disaster and then i was like did i miss something did was suki talking about a recipe like i was i was just going back and i was like no i'm not an idiot they're fucking idiots but anyways um yeah i was gonna say like the writing in, the, in this episode as through most of season four is a plus once yeah. again um but i think i'm gonna agree with what you said that they spent so much time with the dialogue and the actors and the witty repartee there basically were trademarked for at this point and then they're like episode title uh okay whatever you yeah said. they're just like bob scratch something on the thing it needs to go to production let's go like yeah <laughs> but you know i don't know what's happening but um Definitely not the strongest episode title. Um, Let's talk about the opening scene. Which is uh, quite relatable. I don't know about you. (laughs) Yeah, so Rory's back from college, and she said that she's still on her final sleeping schedule. So she's cooking, she's doing her laundry, she's wired, basically. Um, Which, yeah, relatable. Um, I think this is what fans were scared was going to be missing from the show when Rory went to college. So this dynamic that these two have, and to some extent... Um, like to some extent, I think it was missing because if you look back on some of your favorite cold opens, they often involve both Lorelai and Rory. Yeah. 
I'm thinking of the one in season three in particular when they're just going about their normal routine in the kitchen and no words are spoken and they're making coffee and Lorelai takes the clip out of Rory's hair. Like just the silliness and loveliness that we know and love. I think that's what fans were scared of. Mm-hmm. Um, and like I mentioned last time, the ratings did take a dip in season four, but I think season four has more than proved itself. Um, yeah, and I think you've mentioned the dif- the number like the difference in numbers between uh, like viewership between seasons three and four, and yeah, there's definitely a dip. Um, but like it wasn't a note it wasn't like a noticeable decline really that would like warrant you know a cancellation at the end of season four i think it was like a a dip like you said not like a steep fall off a cliff and die kind of no definitely so last last episode i i I rattled off some numbers about viewership it definitely wasn't um you know panic mode numbers um it's also interesting to note this time i did a little bit more research as well and i found out that um Season five, it was the show was renewed for season five in December of two thousand three. Okay, so, so they're fine. <laughs> yeah, like way before the season finale. So back then, when a lot of shows were waiting to get word after their season finales air, um, to renew it so early, this was actually the network showing a lot of confidence in the writers and the show in general. Yeah. So, you know, I didn't think. They definitely didn't have a lot to worry about, and obviously the network saw something they liked. Um, but I think the the dip that we talked about last time was a lot of people maybe missing the dynamic between the two. Mm-hmm. But I think the show, well, we've said it before. It was a, season four was a great season in terms of character development and also development on their own. You know, showing mm-hmm. that these. They, they didn't need to be so codependent, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, so, it, uh, I don't know. I think we've said it before. We're going to say it again. Season four, don't worry, honey. You proved yourself. <laughs> yeah, like, the like for me, I, I can't, you know, I, did, I didn't watch it when it originally aired, so I can't mm-hmm. speak I can't speak for those viewers. If any of you who are listening who, ha- who uh, might have watched the show as it originally aired... If you have an opinion on the difference between like the difference in dynamic between seasons three and four, please let us know. But for me, um, you know, only watching it for the first time many years later, I I said this before in justifying why season four is my personal favorite. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's that yes, the the character development as you you, you mentioned, but also like that I found the dynamic between Lorelai and Rory grew stronger because they were apart and that to me felt really close to life because you know like if if a daughter goes away or any child goes away to college like you have you any child leaving home pretty much like you have to uh, figure out a way to stay in touch and to keep busy with each other I guess so it's like Laura we, we got to see Lorelai and Rory finding their own ways of juggling that for the first time and then as season five goes on they they work even harder at it. We, we won't talk about season six because that just gives me high blood pressure. But, um, you know, it, I think that's why season four for us analyzing is interesting and stronger than maybe previous seasons. And as we said, less, much less filler because the writers were working harder on character development and strengthening, finding new ways and to strengthen that dynamic between Laurel and Rory now because they were apart. Yeah, and we also forget that, like, 
it made sense that they were so lovey-dovey when they're living in the same place, obviously, but it also makes sense because she's still a child, right? Rory's still a child um, in earlier seasons. As the seasons go on, she's growing up. She's becoming her own person. That's very much separate from her mother, you know? Um, We've said it before. Going to college or university, it influences a person. It changes your views on certain things, you know? Yeah. Um, You know, so... We're not going to talk about season five, obviously, but yeah, I think um, season four did a great job. Um, The network obviously thought so as well. And, um, you know, it was, if if you still don't like season four, there's a problem. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. Like, please, if you, if like, if maybe season four is your least favorite season, please uh, let us know why we're interested. I'm I'm super curious. I often hear that, and I know for a lot of people it was the, you know, not having Lorelai and Roy together. But I feel like you have to understand why they couldn't keep that up forever. You know what I mean? Like. Yeah, and if season four is your least favorite because of Jason Styles, just keep it to yourself. Keep it to yourself. We don't want to hear it. Bye. <laughs> All right. So I want to talk about Emily and Richard. Um. So. We haven't seen them in a room together since the After Boom episode. Right. Um, and so this is one of the most, it's probably the worst Friday night dinner we've ever seen up until this point. Um, yeah, like, probably. Yeah. What was once passive aggressive has turned into like just flat out aggressive. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> And I think both Emily and Richard have always been really good at hiding their feelings, especially when they're in um, host and hostess mode. Yeah. It's rare that they're so openly hostile towards each other. And I think that just goes to show you how bad things have actually gotten Mm -hmm. uh, between them. The fact that they can't even hide their disdain for each other anymore is is really telling. Yes. Um, Emily mentions that she wants to go to Europe. And you can see Richard's face. Um, kind of fall. He has no idea she was thinking this. He doesn't like it. He doesn't like not having things, um, not having control, I guess, and not knowing things in his own house. Mm-hmm. And you just know that Emily's thinking, well, how do you like it now? Because the tables have like kind of turned, and now she's the one talking about plans and doing things. When for the past year she had to watch him, maybe, maybe not lead another life, but certainly you know, become the different than the man that she knew. Would you agree? Yes. Like, we saw, obviously, a few instances in seasons one, two, and three where, you know, they weren't getting along and Emily kind of had to just choke it down and figure it out, but they would eventually find their way back to the same page together. Mm -hmm. Whereas this time, it was like, there was no finding, there was no finding common ground anymore. It was like, with every everything that happens to them as a couple in season four that we saw as an audience just just drove them further and further apart. And then by this point in the season finale, and even before, because we had Lorelai and Rory had already uh, pretty much guessed that they had separated. Right. And I don't know. It's like, to me, in this episode in particular, and I didn't really think of this until now having to analyze it and come up with something something to say. I didn't realize that it's like their separation feels like an afterthought. And like you said, they're very openly hostile with each other. And for people who are, in my opinion, for people who are so 
concern with family and appearance. It's like either they would try harder to hide it as they've done with other things, you know, like typical upper class conservatives just like sweep it under the rug, repress everything. Mm-hmm. It's like you'd think in my brain, you'd think Emily would have maybe disclosed privately to people like her family, like Lorelai and Rory being like, your father and I have chosen to separate, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, I totally understand why they, why that never happened, why there was never a scene like that, because, you know, separation for people of Emily and Richard's caliber is failure, right? Like, right. so I understand why they that never happened, that Emily never would have said anything in that way. But the way that it just kind of blows up later, unfortunately, jumping ahead, as long as we're on the theme of Richard and Emily, the way it blows up later where Emily is just like when they're when they're at the inn and um, Lorelai puts them in their own separate cabin bunk outside. Um, it's like she, Emily just blows up and says, "You know we're separate." It's like, no, we didn't. It's kind of just it's frustrating to watch and then to analyze because as viewers we expect a diff we expect like more from Emily in terms of family and appearance you know what I mean like it's like you want us to help you you want us to be there for you but then you push us away and you just like you expect us to know you're separated you didn't tell us like that's not how family works you know it's weird because they just criticize and shit on Lorelai for running away and abandoning her for her parents as a teenager but then you can't play that card when then you've separated and not said anything and are just going to be openly hostile and continue not saying anything until it blows up in your face and you knew we're separated. It's like, no, you never said anything. You know? Sorry, you glitched. <laughs> I glitched. <laughs> no, it's fine. I heard you. It's fine. No, I completely agree with you. I, I, the, the part where I'm a little bit maybe not on the same page as you is that I don't think that Emily wanted not their help necessary, but I also don't think she wanted their commentary. Um, yeah. I think, so wh- why I said what I said, that they're so openly hostile towards each other, I think it is very telling that, like you said, people of Emily and Richard caliber, a separation is a failure, and you, you would want to hide that as much as possible. So the fact that they can't even pretend it anymore means that it's gotten really bad, right? Mm-hmm. Um. It's just, for me, when Emily's talking about Lorelai and Rory and how they're supposed to, they're not supposed to know about the separation, but of course they know. Um, it comes back to what we said last week. We don't talk about things that are uncomfortable. We mm-hmm. don't talk about supposed failure. Um, other people don't need to know our business, even if these people are directly affected by it and are our literal family members. So when Emily tells Lorelai, this is none of your business, you just have to laugh. Yeah. Because Emily makes everything her business, right? Yeah, that's what I mean. It's like Emily, it's like such hypocritical behavior. Yeah. And, it's, and it's written that way on purpose, obviously, for, course, comedic, yeah, of course. for comedic effects. But it's just, it's aggravating because Emily shits on Lorelai for every little thing and not doing everything to their standards. And it's like, oh, well, look at you now. You have separated and that's something you never thought you'd have to address or go through and now you're not handling it well at all so it's like hypocrite like hypocritical to a whole other extent yeah no i i think every time um you know we've seen her get involved in lorelei's life more than once Mm -hmm. um 
you know, with Christopher and later seasons with Luke, with, you know, how she runs her household, uh, the internet scene in season one, showing up at the bank, showing up at Rory's school. Like, she gets involved, right? Like, yeah. So the fact that she's now, you know, saying this is none of your business, when it literally is her business if her parents are separating, um, you know, you have to laugh. I do have to say, though, when Emily and Richard are their most hypocritical, that's also when they're at their best comedically. Yeah. Because, because the situation is just so ludicrous that you can't help but laugh. Mm-hmm. And so I also have to say at the end, though, the audacity and the ego on these people to think that your daughter concocted this whole thing, like putting together an in-test run and inviting you and putting you into the cabin, like the most important day of her life she concocted just to make you guys miserable. Literally, right? like it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's insulting obviously as you as you insinuated because i'm like lorelei didn't have really didn't have she had some ulterior motives let's be honest and putting them in the cap like she had had them together on purpose but at the same time it was she was just inviting them like she she didn't concoct a whole in opening around uh outing her parents separation exactly like relax emily (laughs) It's just, it's a mess. It's a mess. Um, I think in the grand scheme of things, in the entirety of the episode, it's really not the focus of the episode, obviously. But it's definitely important enough Mm -hmm. that, um, you know, we're going to be wondering about it next season. So the season ends very ambiguously for Richard and Emily. Yes. The cat's out of the bag. There's secrets out in the open and everyone's acknowledging it now, but it's still very much up in the air. So where do they go from here? And you have to think that the Friday night dinner storyline is going to shift in some significant way next season. Yeah. Um, but in terms of everything that's going on in the episode, Richard and Emily, back burner, please. That's what I mean. It felt like an afterthought in the episode as well. Because yeah. like, oh, on top of that, all right, they separated. Uh, I don't care. Give me Luke and Lorelai. I waited yeah. four seasons for this. <laughs> well, here's the thing. I think it was very nicely done. Mm-hmm. But it's just, it's it's not what we came here for. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, good job, writers. I commend you. But get to the good shit. Okay. <laughs> um, before we do get to the good shit, I want to talk about Rory and Lane. Yes. Um, because I was really, really happy to see them in a genuine friendship moment. Mm-hmm. Um... I really missed that when Rory went away. You know, we had a lot more Rory Lane scenes in the earlier um, seasons, obviously. And now that things have calmed down a bit for Lane, Rory's able to talk to her like girlfriends would. You know, (laughs) now that her her life is not like up in the air and she doesn't know where she's living. Yeah. Um, Because I think as close as Rory is to Lorelai, and while I'm sure she told um, Lorelai about just showing up at her dorm, there are certain things that I don't think you tell your mother or maybe, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Or maybe you tell her, but you don't tell her the whole thing. You don't tell her how it made you feel and like it or not, your mother's not going to give you the answer you want to hear in a lot of these situations. Mm-hmm. So um, sometimes you do need to spill to your friends. I'm um, also thinking of this, like building off of the scene that uh, Rory and Lane have in this episode. I'm also thinking of the scene they have in the season five premiere. Yes. Uh, after um, Rory and Dean have uh, bounced on the bed, and 
<laughs> um, she's like, uh, Lane is whispering, and she's like, why are you whispering? Because no, no matter where she is, I feel like my mom can hear this conversation. <laughs> yeah. I mean, sometimes you just need a girlfriend. And as yeah. much as the show really pushes this idea of mother and daughter can be good friends, she's still your mother at the end of the day, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, so like I said, Rory explains that Jess showed up and wanted her to run away with him. And Lane says a few things that I actually want to talk about. Yes, so first, please. she says it was romantic of him to do that. Now, we posted that scene on Instagram and Twitter, and we got some mixed responses. So that scene that made me ball last, last week of just, um, you know, saying, come with me, we can, we, you can count on me now. Yeah. Um, so we got, we got mixed responses, but I think rightfully, a lot of people talked about how while it was very well acted on his part, there's no dispute about that. It wasn't this grand romantic gesture that Lane is making it out to be. Mm-hmm. So we got a lot of comments saying it was toxic, it was out of character for him, it was cringeworthy, it was desperate. Um, and I think bleak. Jess really didn't think things through. He wasn't yeah. in the best place. He still doesn't really know how to communicate his feelings properly. So I don't agree with Lane that this was romantic quote-unquote romantic right yeah like i i don't think it was toxic as people as people were saying in the comments i think that was obviously uh people who are not fans of jess who were commenting that um but i think from lane's perspective like she wasn't there all she knows is like this little tidbit that rory has given her thus far it's like i think the inclination when you're being told the story uh, and like in casual everyday small talk it's like the, the inclination is to say it's romantic even though we know it's it wasn't it wasn't so much it wasn't so much a romantic gesture as a last ditch attempt at please love me <laughs> yeah no for sure and i think also you have to realize that not very much has gone on romantically in lane's life and um, yeah i do get the feeling that sometimes she's living vicariously through Rory. So in her eyes, when a guy shows up at your dorm and he like declares his love for you and he's like, come away with me. She's very much looking at it through a very naive lens of like, oh, my God, he loves, her, you know, because she's never really had anything in her life, you know, not to say she's, yeah. she's boring. But I mean, like, you know, of course, this past year was very traumatic for her. She made a lot of big steps, but nothing on the romantic front. Right. So, Mm -hmm. you know, Lane's looking at this all through a very um, like rosy glasses. It's just it's very it's all very to her, you know. Um, And I want to say also, she also says that the part part of Jess's appeal is the uncertainty that when you you get when you're with him. Mm -hmm. So I think she said spontaneity. I'm not sure. But I think the problem is that even when they were actually together, Rory never liked that about him, right? She hated not knowing what was happening. She hated not knowing what he was going to do or say or how unpredictable he was. Rory needs structure. She's a very structured person, right? Yeah. And I think, like, like speaking from the fandom perspective, I think (laughs) that Jess's behavior in that way has definitely been way over over romanticized and that's yeah. why i think we're th- there were some bitter comments of saying like oh of course not toxic behavior at all because i think any maybe f- uh other people or other f- uh fan pages that have 
shared that scene or similar scenes or behavior from Jess. It's all from a very like heart heart eye emoji, smiley face, cry face, like that kind of puddle of feelings that I am known for on our social media. So um, it's I think people were bringing in other perspectives to our comment section as they tend to do. Yeah, I mean, really, when I posted it, my my caption was going to sob for three to five business days. And it was really because it was a very emotional scene, you know, mm-hmm. it wasn't it wasn't because, oh, my gosh, she should have went with him. No, absolutely not. It was very much like this man is broken. Yeah, and it was very emotional. Um, yeah, Rory then eventually brings the conversation back to Dean. Uh, and in your head, you're just screaming, danger, girl, danger. And might I add, I noticed this watching and something, it's something I wouldn't have picked up on having watched for leisure purposes. Um, it's that when Rory is telling Lane the story, not just of Jess showing up, because she starts that story by telling her about the awful date she had with Duncan Kane, mm-hmm. and is saying like, Oh, he was like compares him to what's his name in Pretty in Pink, and Lane. So Lane gets it right away. And in telling just telling that story leading up to Jess, she does not mention that she called Dean to come pick her up. She does not say that. Yeah. She only the only time she brings up Dean is when they're done discussing Jess, and she's like, at least with Dean I was safe and blah blah blah. Like it's only when the subject turns away from Jess that she starts thinking like when I was with Dean everything was safe and good and I somehow want to return to that because adult life is scary and unpredictable at the moment yeah it yeah it is if you haven't noticed that please go back and notice that it's very important because I think it shows that even though nothing shady went on and she's going to justify it by saying, I just called him for a ride because I was in a jam or whatever. I think deep down she knows. <laughs> yeah. Not, not the best choice to call your married ex-boyfriend. Um, and I think at this point, we're still very much in the same territory that we were last week when we said that it's not love that's drawing Rory to Dean, right? It's nostalgia and a yearning for familiarity. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, very interesting to note that she doesn't mention Dean. The only thing she says about Dean is that, um, you know, she starts talking about how she really blew it with Dean and she was safe with him. But the thing is, I just want to kind of shake her because why are you going backwards? You made a decision a year ago. You made your choice. You didn't want him. And now you're waxing poetic about how what you had was so good with him. Yeah. Like, it's really one of the rare moments where I don't get it. <laughs> I, no, and, really, and, I, I'm not trying to be like I hate Dean but I do but I mean like I just don't get it yeah I don't and, really get I don't really get it from a, from a romantic uh, point of view in terms of um, like just just romantic partners and wanting to return to a I don't know the like you said the familiarity and nostalgia of a previous relationship. I can't speak to that um, <laughs> whatsoever, but it does just it does remind me of like uh, I guess thought patterns I had at the same age as Rory, a little older I guess like not that long ago actually. It was only really the pandemic that kind of snapped me out of that uh, young twenty early twenties mentality of everything life is happening now and never again kind of. 
And it was, I guess when you said, like, what's you want to shake her because she's kind of looking backwards and the only way to go is forwards. I think when you're that age and Roy's only 19 at this point. So I was a bit older when I was <laughs> in my in my version of these events was I, I had so for two years. I used to work in a restaurant. I think I might have mentioned that at some point in the past on the podcast. And I worked in the kitchen and it, for a long for the longest time, it was a really feasible and workable job for me because I pretty much had that kitchen like the I, I did all the dishwashing and everything and all the cleanup I had that place running like a German train schedule um and it worked like with school for the longest time and eventually just didn't though like it reached a point I was there for over two years and I felt like staying there was the opposite like it, it felt like going backwards like you said was like staying there felt like going backwards and not growing and not asking more of myself in terms of you know gr- growing up I guess and so it reached a point where I had to leave I like no matter what I just need to get out of there and eventually I did but then the job that I took after that was not the best um as Eleni can attest from personal stories I then worked in a bakery for six months and that was even worse. And anyway, all of that to say, in the time that I did work at the bakery and I was miserable and a bunch of other things in terms of my creative life weren't going the way that I wanted them to. So I, all I remember thinking at that time was I should have just stayed, should have just stayed at the restaurant, despite the fact that I was miserable there too. It wasn't any better, which is a different kind of miserable. So I guess I can kind of relate to what Rory's feeling in terms of she wants to go backwards because going in her brain and that that young mentality is like going backwards is not necessarily refusing to move forward it's just like staying stuck where you are and it's like easier to it's easier to just stay stuck than having to contemplate moving forward if any of that makes sense no no I get what you're saying completely and I understand the need to kind of um not the need but I understand that the tendency for people to say like oh I had it so much better there and like I get it but the thing that I think gets lost in all of this is that while Rory's really busy saying like how she felt so safe with Dean and everything was so great with Dean, I didn't have to think about anything. She's not really mentioning his faults, right? It wasn't a picture perfect relationship. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> she didn't fucking talk to him at one point. <laughs> like, so just because he made you feel safe, yeah. like, ugh, of course he made you feel safe. He's a tree. But like, I don't. <laughs> Oh, it's just so frustrating. And Ugh. I think it's, but I think it's that that's important to note is that you don't. It's like when you kind of romanticize the past that way, right. you're like you're deluding yourself first of all. But you're, but like you're deluding yourself to an extent where any flaws or anything that worked against you is just you're blind to that because all you yeah. can all you can remember in that moment is the thing like the beneficial things that you that you think you remember. So he so Roy thinks she remembers feeling safe with him. When what she really, what one will can't speak when what she really remembers is just this illusion of security where she where Lisa was there for her like she's not remembering any of the toxic I mean I don't think she picked up very much on much of his toxic behavior as much as we have but like she doesn't remember anything that he might have said or done doesn't remember that doesn't even remember any time that he would get upset and verbally aggressive like all she remembers is how she thinks she felt in that moment and I think it reaches a point where in your coming of age I guess is that you 
tend to just ignore those faults because all you want is that feeling of sec- is, is that feeling of security. So like in my case, when I would think back, like oh I should have just stayed at the restaurant, I was ignoring the uh, the owners' tendency to be terrible managers and not treat us well. I was ignoring the fact that I felt so depressed and miserable there because it I it wasn't challenging for me anymore. Like I was ignoring all the all the red flags that had told me it was time to leave. All I wanted to go but all I wanted in that moment was to go back to the, the the sense of security I once felt there at one time, even though that was in the past. So I think Rory in this in a similar way is like just wanting to go back to what she remembers as a teenager with Dean, this like this puppy love paradigm that I mentioned last week. Like she, all she wants is that is that feeling of security and not having not having to like worry about what, what about what's coming next in life, even though that that moment's coming regardless, sweetie. Well, she's an idiot. That's all I have to say about that. <laughs> oh <my> okay. <laughs> Moving on, Lorelai and Luke. I'm doing this semi chronologically. Somewhat. Somewhat, because I think there's certain things to talk about before the big scenes. So um, should we talk about? Lorelai pulling Rory out of the diner. Yeah, so that's where I was going to go with it. <laughs> so I, I wanted to pick up where we left off last week. Um, it's clear that these two are kind of moving in the right direction. Mm-hmm. Um, they really connected at the wedding. The walk home was less ambiguous with what I think is an actual date ask out. Um, but the fact remains that Lorelai is still very confused. And mm-hmm. you can see the wheels turning in her head. <laughs> And when she drags Rory outside of the diner to talk about everything, you get the con- you you really understand how confused she is. She's talking about you know we have this dance, uh, the wedding, the walk home. It all seems pretty clear that there's something going on, mm-hmm. but it's almost as if she, I don't know is she unwilling to admit that there's something going on? Like it's very I don't know I don't know. She seems. She seems like she knows, but she's also doubting herself. I think she, I think Lorelai's being Lorelai in the sense that she know, like like you said, she knows something is happening, but it's like she's too she's trying to like go back to being immature and naive and being like, I don't know, what do I know? Blah blah blah. Even though like even though I think we've reached a point where she's grown a lot over the course of season four, and now she's reached a point where we know just based on the look in her eye and how much of a klutz apparently she turns into around him now it's like we know that this is this is the connection that Lorelai has been fighting or ignoring or pushing to the back of the psyche all this time all four seasons so now it's like there's no there's no other place for her to hide in terms of immaturity and naivete yeah and I also so I love the fact that Rory's so surprised because it's (laughs) like everyone in town knows about Luke's feelings for Lorelai right um, and the only thing I can think of is maybe it's one of those things that you've been waiting for it to happen for so long mm-hmm. and that you've kind of lost hope that it was ever going to happen. And when it finally does, you're just surprised. And you're like, oh, my yeah. God, it's Luke. Oh! Like, you know, <laughs> the fuck is going on. Um, so, yeah, it was just a really cute moment where it's like, you know, we, we've all been waiting for this. It's almost like even as a viewer, you're watching it and you're like, I've been waiting for this for so long. Like, is it really happening? Are you toying with me, Amy? Like, it's yeah. just, I think that's what they were going for in that scene. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it was 
done really, really well. I've seen a lot of articles online about how this episode is one of the best ones in the whole series. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people point to Lauren Graham's acting. And while normally I would agree, <laughs> there's a but, I, I don't think she did a good job with that little fall in the diner. Really? <laughs> it looks so fake. <laughs> I don't know. I was gonna I was gonna bring it up. I was gonna say no matter how many times I watch that scene where she she walks in and looks like everything okay, yes, and she just like trips. Like it is fake now that you say it, right? But if like, you just look the, at it, she doesn't trip. She no, she just barely you can see her doing the motion of going sideways. <laughs> so, I think it's just I think that was the whole point was that it's like she didn't need to trip on anything. It was just like she needed a mo- she needed something to not make this moment perfect like it was let's let, let's be cool let's be cool like your crush your crush is yeah, coming no, act, act natural and then smash like no listen i definitely get what they were trying to do i get that they're trying to convey that she's nervous um even like last week when they were dancing and she didn't know where to look and she was giggling i know it's an extension of that you know mm-hmm. but um i'm i'm talking about the the physical comedy act of it itself yeah wasn't amazing but i understand what they were trying to do <laughs> um it's also a really big change for lorelei because we're so used to seeing her very confident in all of her relationships yeah. and now it's almost like something shifted and she's the one that's babbling and she's the one that's not very sure of herself and losing her cool and i think it's a pretty good indication of the fact that she's had feelings for luke for a very long time too Mm-hmm. And it's as if, you know, when your crush starts talking to you and you don't know what to do when you get all flustered? Yeah. Like, we also see her get flustered when Michelle tells her that Luke's coming to the opening, right? We see her mm-hmm. smashing to the door at the actual opening. Um, you know, we see the look that she gets afterwards when she sees the flowers. It's definitely the look of someone who's happy that they're getting attention from someone that they've liked for a long time, you know? Yeah, I'd have to imagine that the publications who referred to this as, like, to refer to her acting skills in, in this episode, I think it's probably just the way she conveyed that sense, that giddiness, that, like, inability to hide the fluster of emotions that are suddenly coming with the, with the idea of dating. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. And I think, listen, the episode in general, for me, home run, like, I think she's great in it. It was mm-hmm. literally just that one scene where I was like, no, that's fake, honey. <laughs> but anyways. Um, also, dinner at the end gets very heavy with the eye contact. It does. Luke's definitely <laughs> saying things with those eyes. <laughs> There's a lot of big, a lot of feels. I'm like, that's, I remember saying last week, like, when you said, don't toy with me, Amy. I'm like, I have trust issues. Is this really happening? I know. Like. <laughs> I know. I mean, look, Luke's definitely saying things with his eyes. And if Lorelai was unsure about what was going on before, girl, you have to be blind not to know now. Okay. And as a fan, after that eye contact, you know, something big is coming. You know that this is what you've been waiting for for four years. And it's going to be amazing. And I swear to God, Amy, if it doesn't happen in the next 20 minutes, I'm going to fuck you up. (laughs) Oh, my God. That's very aggressive. (laughs) I mean, Honest to God, that's what I was thinking the whole time I'm watching this live. Because <laughs> you know when you're you're watching a show live mm-hmm. and it's a season finale and you're looking at the clock. Yes. Only have 20 minutes left to do this. Come on. Yeah. Me, that was me. I'm telling you. 
It was not a good time. It was not a good time to be around me. I was very <laughs> tense. Very tense. But anyways, I can imagine. Um, yeah. I want to talk about the scene at the end between Rory and Dean in the hallway. Ugh. Okay. Yeah, I, I know we have to, though, Jeffrey. I know it's ugh, but we have to. All right. Um, th- this whole scene made me so uncomfortable. And I'm not even trying to be funny. And I'm not, not even like, oh, my God, Dean, I hate Dean. No, no, no. Like, sincerely, the whole thing made my skin crawl. <laughs> like, both now when I'm in my very late 20s and, and I've seen the show a couple thousand times and I know what's going to happen. But even back then when I was watching it for the first time, mm-hmm. I was just like, it's like a horror movie. You know the person's going to die. It's gonna happen. They're gonna go belly up. They're gonna go belly up. You see it, you're like, oh my god, the horror. (laughs) Okay, I think uh, I think you've uh, taken over as the most melodramatic co-host of this podcast. No, that's still me. Okay, good. I'm glad. (laughs) Still, no. But here's the thing. Here's where Rory and I differ. Um. Because I've always kind of seen glimpses of myself in Rory. But mm-hmm. here's where all that went poof up in the air for me. <laughs> because if my ex-boyfriend... No, seriously. Because if my ex-boyfriend, who is now married, got mad at me because I may or may not have gotten back together with someone else, if there was sexual tension, it would have gone with the wind at this yeah. point, and I would have raged. <laughs> the audacity of this man, who has a wife, <laughs> No, no, listen to me very carefully. The audacity of this man who has a wife to mm-hmm. dictate who she can and cannot spend time with. Because up until this point, things have been, I will admit, a little shady. You, yeah. you know, like with Rory calling Dean to get her. Have they been shady? Absolutely. But is there a line that's been crossed romantically? No. So for you to sit there and have a temper tantrum reminiscent of season two basket bidding is mind-boggling to me. I know. Like, and then you find out that she didn't stay with Jess and everything's fine and you want to make your move. What did we say last week? The lion, the witch, and the audacity of this bitch. <laughs> yes, that's my line. Thank you. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I, it doesn't make my skin crawl, as you say, but it's definitely, like, it's definitely exemplary of this manipulative behavior that's always been characteristic of Dean that we, like, the, not to say the writers distract us from, but as you grow up, having watched the show as a, you know, maybe, like, teenager young adults and now you're watching it as a fully grown human being it's like you re- you recognize the way that dean was like written toxic from the beginning and i think you just in the, i guess in the like as, as we've discussed before in the landscape of the early 2000s it wasn't maybe as toxic as it is now for us analyzing whatever the case dean was always been how dean has always had a history of toxic and manipulative behavior and and for me I think the line is drawn in the end of season four, as we're discussing now, because, as you said, the lion, the witch, and the audacity of this bitch, because 
he has a wife and he's not only trying, not only trying to t- still dictate Roy's behavior, like he definitely is doing that and it's reminiscent of when they were together and Jess was coming between them. But also it's like you don't get to a throw a temper tantrum, as you mentioned, you know, but you also don't get to, I don't know, just act like this, this, I don't even have the word. There's no vocabulary to explain how gross Dean is in this instance. It's just like can he... Can I try with the words? Hang on. He's just like, it's not even that I need words at this point. It's just that how do you how do you get to act as if Rory has done you wrong just because Jess showed up? Like, she did not... Like, she didn't invite him. She didn't, like, call him up be like... Like, she didn't call Jess first and then Dean second and then Jess showed up. Like, what? I just... It's, no. No thanks. But can I say something? Even if she did, you have a wife. Yeah, yeah. At the end of the day, you have a wife. You're married. She doesn't owe you shit. Yeah. The, 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 I think you, you nailed it. The manipulation of, like, you know Rory has said numerous times that she wants to be your friend because she cares about you. She's had these discussions with you that she just wants what's best for you. She wants you to go to school. You know, like, you know she's your friend at this point, right? Yeah. And then for you to manipulate the situation and make her feel like shit, like, I'm not going to talk to her because Jess was there. Like, what the fuck? (laughs) The audacity! I can't do it. I can't do it? (laughs) I want a I want a recording of that of that snippet of this episode for my ringtone of you saying what the fuck because <laughs> you know I don't know why but just in that instance all I could think of was that is is my favorite clip of that from from the view that outtake from the view where Elizabeth Hasselbeck storms out the set and she's like what the fuck like, that's all I can think of and you're like this woman has me swearing I don't even swear that's you well I swear so let's yeah right. <laughs> but it's just it's so manipulative it's so childish it's like it's like we're dealing with a high schooler but except you're not in fucking high school you're married you're an adult you made a decision to get married right out of high school. Like, act act like you know what the fuck is going on. But this is what I was talking about a few weeks ago when I referred to Dean as a soul-sucking dementor and the way that yeah. he was staring longingly at Rory while talking to Luke at the arcade. It's yeah. like... That like that was the foreshadowing. Like that, like, that told you everything you need to know. Like, anyone who was surprised by Dean's actions at the end of this season is like they they gave you they they gave it all to you like this they planted the seeds the the breadcrumbs were were tossed like the like the path was was paved like what do you want what else do you want from like what else do you want from me in terms of explaining to you that dean clearly knew in one realm or another that he made the wrong choice in getting married so young so when you say that he doesn't get to act like a teenager or a high schooler. He still is that. Like, he got married out of high school, barely went to college or at all. I don't know if he went to school. Who cares? But, like, he's still in that. He still is that person. So, in a way, Rory has already lived so much more than he has. And that's what I, mean, that's what I meant above all when I said soul-sucking Dementor. Because he, what he sees is Rory having a life and Rory growing past. And, unfortunately, to, to jump ahead... To season to season five when we see Dean for the final time when he tells Luke 
Like, they want more than this. And all you are is this. So that's what, like, Dean realizes, like, he made his bed. Because what he saw in Rory at this point was something, I don't know, bigger than himself. Because she had ambitions and he didn't. And then all of a sudden when Logan shows up and he breaks up with her in that scene at her parents' house in season five, it's like, what am, I, what am I doing here? It's like, what are you doing there? It's like, you made your bed this whole time. You know what I mean? Like you, you, this is, this is on you, sweetie. What else, what else do you want from me? Oh, Dean. Mm-hmm. Also, he still looks like a fucking mop. Let's just put that out there. And this, and this, especially considering that you mentioned just based on Jess's appearance and his apparently greasy hair that needs some shampoo, like you, you've mentioned that Jess is clearly not in a great space in season four, a great headspace, a great place in life. I think based on Dean's appearance, he's also not in a great place. I mean, let's be honest. Nobody's hair in this season was great. No, but but I'm, but like seriously, just for a minute, like to look at Dean, he looks like he he kind of looks a bit bloated in the face (laughs) he hasn't shaved hasn't gotten a haircut like he looks like a mess i'm sorry jess i'm i'm biased obviously but jess can pull off that hairstyle hasn't got a haircut obviously is not in a great headspace either but jess looks a bit more like a human being and not like some grody i don't know secondhand husband you found on this you found on the street and starts hollow like what do you want from let's be honest (laughs) they both need some dry shampoo okay they do, but I'm sorry. Like, objectively, look at Dean in this episode and tell me he's not like in needing of some kind of grooming. Honey, I'm never gonna argue with you about Dean. Don't worry, I'm on your side. But you know what I mean, though. Like, he's not. He looks like he's in a very bad place. He's looks like he's in a bad place. He is in a bad place. He's in somebody else's pants. <laughs> Anyways, okay. Can we talk about Jason at the end and the events thereafter? Listen, you brought up Dean, you unleashed those demons. That's not my fault. I brought up Dean. He's a central part of the episode. Mm. All right, moving on. Uh, to Jason. So what do you think the purpose of Jason's reappearance was? Okay, so here's the thing. I can honestly say that this is the first time that I've truly disliked him. Okay. Um, and I think... So first of all, I think he's delusional when he starts talking. Mm-hmm. He says he gave Lorelai space and he saw their breakup as a cooling off period. It's too much. Like, she clearly broke up with you. We were all there. Accept it and move on. Yeah. Also, accept the fact that she told you to leave and she told you that this was a very big night for her and she was busy. Like, respect people's boundaries. Okay? Yeah. So that's one thing that I wanted to say. Um, I have to say, I was... When I first watched this, I kept thinking to myself, please, God, don't let this be one of those scenarios where Luke just assumes that Jason and Lorelai are back together and he leaves and he doesn't make a move. And then we're stuck there for the whole summer being like, what the fuck? You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, thankfully, it wasn't that. But I think the purpose of Jason, um, The genius of having him there was that it actually pushed Luke and it forced him to have an honest conversation with Lorelai about it. I think that if Jason hadn't shown up, it would have been a lot more of this eye contact and like, I'm bringing you flowers, but like nobody really says what's going on. Mm -hmm. Whereas he gets 
so frustrating Jason there that he just kind of explodes and is like, I'm not a mysterious man. <laughs> it, it, it forces him to kind of make his intentions clear whether he wanted to do that or not, right? He was clearly having a tantrum. But it really does force him to, to have a conversation with her. That's interesting. I didn't really like, I, I, it makes sense now that you say it, but to me watching and taking notes, I was thinking that Jason, like, Obviously, they brought they brought Jason back to, uh, I guess I'm gonna say close the door, even though it was not really left, not really properly closed. But it did, like you said, it did force Luke to uh, make to take the final plunge. Yeah. And I think the like my initial my initial analysis was that it kind of forced Lorelai to realize like, oh, I don't want that, I want Luke. But mm-hmm. that's not like. I guess part of it was that, but also, but mostly it was Luke who was, who was making the the first move. So I think you're right. But I definitely think that the main purpose was really to push Luke to get him to his breaking point, so that he does kind of like, I guess, yell his love for her. He does really yell at her. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. <laughs> it was hilarious. I have to say, it was hilarious. Um, I'm gonna ask you. Mm-hmm. Um. As someone who saw the show in the era of streaming, was yes. their kiss everything that you'd been hoping for? Well, um, yes and no, because as I've mentioned, um, Madame Amy Sherman Palladino's tendency to dangle dangle them in front of us and then do nothing was yes. Severely, sincerely did give me like severe uh, trust issues. So I don't think until the moment that like that happened, where it was like, what are you doing? Just stand still. Like that whole that whole kiss scene that is just brilliantly ruined by Kirk and his night terrors, which which we'll get to. Um, But to answer your question, I think only only when that moment happened was I fully convinced like oh they're going there like it's finally happening because up until that moment even at the wedding all the glances even um even then looking at each other in the dining room when he's like when he was staring at his plate because uh I guess Babette's boob fell out of her bathroom um and then he looks up at her and they have that that glance and she once again walks into someone like all those moments yes they're cute and it was like oof I felt some kind of foreshadow but I felt that foreshadow in season one and it went nowhere so I'm like am I investing am I not investing yeah only when that kiss happened where I was like okay I guess season five it's actually happening like I knew having you know been on social media at the time and having like looked through the fandom and all the content like I know Luke and Lorelai happen eventually I was just like when is it actually happening for real and I think I just love I think my favorite moment of this of this finale this season finale of this episode is like just it's just brilliant the way that they wrote Kirk's Night Terrors into the episode it just it worked perfectly like it's one I think out of every like every you know will they won't they moment in every show that I've personally watched this is one of my favorites because it it finally happens and something is so quirky and just out of the blue as uh, you know stars hollow resident kirk having night terrors and running screaming bloody murder through this kiss we've waited four seasons and 87 episodes for it's like just chef's kiss (laughs) yeah i think it was really brilliant the way they wrote it into the show the way they wrote kirk's 
um, storyline into the show. Because at first, when he asked Luke, you're just thinking, oh, whatever, Kirk's being Kirk. You know what I mean? You're not thinking it's going to play such a big part in one of the biggest moments of the show that you've been waiting for for four years. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I definitely think it was beautifully done. Um, you know, you are you finally got what you've been waiting for, and then fucking here comes a naked Kirk. And he's like, and I love how Luke is just so, like, he's finally getting everything he wanted, but he's, he still made Kirk a promise, so he's going to go after him. Yeah, and if honestly, and if I ever had the chance to speak to Amy Sherman Palladino, like, one writer to another, I would ask her, like, what inspired the creative process for this episode and what made you think like Lorelai and Luke are finally happening and to what sprinkle this trademark Gilmore Girls quirkiness I'm gonna have Kirk run like run through them at the screaming of the top of his lungs like I want to know what did did that come to you in a dream did that come like tell me how how did that how did that come to be yeah no it'd be a great conversation I mean there's a reason she's amazing right like it's just it's the things that go through this woman's head I love it (laughs) I love it um I do have to say for me as a longtime viewer I think it was just such a relief to see it happen like you said at that point we had developed trust issues with Amy um it's almost like Rory's reaction you know because you've also been burned so many times with the will they won't they that when they finally do you just kind of exhale in relief um but it was it was it was great i mean it it also really i think captured their dynamic perfectly it went from luke being very upset because he's always grumpy and lorelei saying like her little quips and like you know him just finally going for it and her not really she's like what are you doing you know and he's like shut the fuck up (laughs) You know, so I think it was very much them. It it paid it paid homage to their relationship. Um, I think they did a really really good job with it. And like I said, if you've waited all that time, you know, um, I was definitely satisfied by the end of it. But at the same time, if you're watching this live, you are looking at the clock, <laughs> and you're like, there's only like three minutes left. What could possibly happen? And then you know what happens. Magic? No. Uh, oh, what? About Dean and Rory, you dumbass. Oh, I was, I was still focused on the good parts, okay? I don't want to talk about their disgusting dis- heterosexual lovemaking. Lovemaking? Oh, my. I was trying to think of some of the scientific, what's a scientific term? Like, they're disgusting heterosexual coitus. <laughs> Boinking. Boinking. I don't know. Just... What you, what you do in the bedroom is your business, kids, right? <laughs> Except if you're doing it with Dean, and then it's everyone's business. I know. Um, okay, no. I want to talk about the events that lead up to the end scene. Um, because they're equally horrific as the scene in the hallway. I want to I wanna talk about when Dean shows up at the house. And let's talk about how what an incredibly dumb idea it was to invite him in after the almost kiss you just had. And honestly, I I kind of watched that scene twice. I watched the episode this morning, uh, preparing for recording, and then right before uh, we right before we started rec- right before like this afternoon we started recording, I watched it again. And I like not to sound extremist, but he kind of like the way that he comes, the way that he's like 
closing in on her in the, the empty house and they're kind of talking whatever like it's not I'm not going to say like non-consensual but like he's kind of a bit of a predator he's like not really like he, he was there for a purpose you know yeah so I think he definitely came with a with a goal in mind whether, mm. that, whether that goal was to have sex or not I think is up for debate but he definitely came for a reason like you said um yeah so I think it's really interesting that Dean is the one that actually brings up what happened in the hallway at the inn. And yeah. you can tell that Rory would have been completely fine pretending it never happened. Mm-hmm. Because she doesn't bring it up. She's just continuing with the banter, as awkward as it may be. You know what I mean? She's just doing what she does. And this is why I firmly believe that Dean is in the driver's seat with this cheating storyline, as if it wasn't already clear. Um, yeah. I'm, that's not to say that, like, I'm taking any of the blame on Rory because she knew what she was doing. But, you know, I think it's it's important to remember that it's like, let's not forget that while Dean is smiling, thinking about what almost happened and telling her that if Tom hadn't come in, like, blah, 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 because he is smiling. She just looks at him and goes, um, Dean, Lindsay. <laughs> like, she's. Being, she's very much being the voice of reason up yeah. until that point, right? <clears throat> and I think even, like, right up until the point where they finally kiss, um, in my opinion, he's really saying all the right things. Like, all the things that she wants to hear that will justify this decision in her head. Mm-hmm. It's like you said, he's being manipulative. And I think it's really important that we pay attention to the language that's used in this scene. Mm-hmm. Because when he says, we're not happy, she's not happy, and I can't make her happy, no, it's just, it's over, we both feel it, I know we both feel it. She immediately comes back and says, you and Lindsay, you both feel it's over? Like, she's asking him a question. Mm-hmm. I mean, And don't get me wrong, like I said, what she's doing is wrong. I'm not making an excuse for her. But I think Dean knew exactly what he was saying. And I think Rory asked the questions that we're going to make it okay for her to act on this. Mm -hmm. But he was just telling her everything she wanted to hear. Like, he was thinking, if I tell her that, like, it's me and Lindsay, she can't argue. You know what I mean? Like, am I making sense? Yeah, like, he was was continuing to manipulate her and, like, was trying to, like, just was trying to just, not to say he wanted to get what he wanted. Like, I'm not saying he was forcing himself on her, but, like, he was... He was there for a purpose, and not even a purpose. He, he was like, he, no, but I, I do think the purpose was he was there to do everything he could to convince Rory that it's over with Lindsay and I want to be with her. Did I think that he thought that they were going to have sex? No, no. But, but I think he definitely went with an agenda in mind, and the agenda was let Rory know how much I care about her and I want her, not Lindsay. Yeah, I think he was he his purpose I think was intimacy, whatever not necessarily um not necessarily like having sex, but he was looking he was looking for a connection and in order in order to solidify that connection he needed to manipulate her into manipulating this friendly exterior that she has already made clear that she wants to have with him. Mm-hmm. She was she was manipulating that dynamic to convince her, obviously, that uh he and Lindsay aren't happy, but like sh- Rory was being sent like that's what that's what that's what makes me 
at like angry with the way this the way that the the season ends because like Rory was being sensible and then after the the encounter the act whatever you want to call it after it happened <laughs> after the the unfortunate happening um <laughs> after that happens and Lorelai comes home and finds them and whatever um it's like she Lorelai immediately starts criticizing her not only because she's the other woman as she puts it but she is criticizing her because Roy makes lists and Roy is sensible and Roy is this and Roy is that and it's it's frustrating because Roy was Roy was being all of those things it was Dean who manipulated her into ignoring them and being in the moment with him so did them though right like we can't take that away no i'm not again to be i'm as as you said uh we're not making excuses for rory's own behavior because rory knows she made a shit life choice she knows she knows especially after she tries to justify it to her mother and she's all she says is well i had him first yeah that was like again the lion the witch and the audacity of this bitch (laughs) That should be the episode title, by the way. <laughs> it can't be, but I'll, maybe something about audacity. <laughs> um, something that came to me yesterday while I was watching this was the whole um, condom situation or raincoat situation, as they call it. Mm. Um, it's something small, but it just came to me. Um, I don't think Rory's the type to have condoms in the house. No. So that means that Dean had a condom in his wallet or mm-hmm. on his person. And I find it a little weird that a married man just walks around with condoms in his wallet. Mm, maybe it was from his, uh, could have been in his wallet from last year, which was high school, because he's still a teenager. Like, not not to make it an excuse, but, like, Dean is also a child, so it was, like, ugh. Of course he had a condom in his wallet, because yeah. you're still, uh, you're still a, a, a idiot. <laughs> yeah, just my, my thoughts. Um... I want to talk about when Lorelai comes home. I think it's 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 a very poignant scene. Um, just from the look on her face when she comes home, even before she confirms what she thinks happened by seeing the unmade bed, you can tell that she's so disappointed in Rory. Mm-hmm. I mean, like, even if they hadn't had sex, even if the bed was made, um, even if they had just been, like, fooling around, or even just, like, in her room together it doesn't look good right she's just so disappointed and i guess as a parent she that's her right because she did sleep with a married man regardless of the circumstances absolutely but i think another important factor to bring up here is lorelei still has this childhood ideal that she's holding to rory at this point and we've discussed this till we're blue in the face of how everyone holds Roy to this ridiculous standard of perfection. And when it comes to this point in her life, when she is literally 19 and not to be all like, Oh, young people are supposed to make mistakes. No, like, yes, they are, but not like irreparable damage. So I think the way that Lorelai's like Lorelai's reaction is, is telling obviously, but it's, it's telling to an extent that indicates the way she still thinks of her daughter and i think for lack of a better term the way she still thinks of her daughter is problematic at this point because she is 19 and not to not to excuse rory's actions once again because she made shit life choices and she knows it but 
I just like I w- I wanted more obviously for the way that Lorelai reacts, I guess. Okay, so here's where I'm going to push back a little. <laughs> oh boy. I, yeah. <laughs> no, it's not like it's not that I entirely disagree. Um it's just that I don't think Lorelai's reaction would have been this strong if it hadn't been a married man. We often talk about how, um, yes, you're right. We talk about how everyone, you know, holds Rory to a very, very high standard and they expect perfection from her. I don't think the sex is the issue here. Um, I think it's the sex with a married man that's the issue. Um, Yeah. Because if it had been anyone else walking out of her bedroom, if it had had even been Jess, she would have been like, ew, but she wouldn't have been as disappointed. You know what I mean? It really is, I think, the fact that her daughter, who she, and she says it, you know, you always make lists, you always think things through. Why, with the biggest decision of your life, would you not think it through? I really think the disappointment comes from she didn't think that she raised a daughter who would be the other woman. Yeah, so I don't, I don't disagree. I think a lot of, a lot of Lorelai's reaction is rooted in uh her sleeping with a married choosing to sleep with a married man but i think i don't know i think there is like there's just something else for me that just doesn't like just rubs me the wrong way how lorelei reacts and i think it's another another i don't even know another layer of the unraveling of their mother-daughter relationship that leads to the events of the later seasons because it's just like she can't not to say Lorelai micromanages her daughter but like she micromanages Rory's life because they claim to be they claim to be best friends first and mother and daughter second and we've said multiple times that the whole point of the show is the moments in which that doesn't work and in this case I think like there there's mother and like there's mother and daughter and obviously as we said earlier the way that there's certain things the daughter will just not discuss with her mother and and Rory is reaching and I think I think that's the whole point is Rory and Lorelai are reaching that impasse where there are certain things they can't discuss with each other because it's just it's not it like you don't discuss these things with your mommy and I what just irritates me and I, I totally I, I totally don't disagree with the way that she's disappointed in that Rory slept with a married man but what irritates me personally is just the language she uses of and even like even what you said of how like this is the biggest decision of your life like kind of just putting Rory and by extension women in general on this pedestal of like having to make the right choice for this grand decision and not to say again it was a shitty choice like you shouldn't have slept with your married ex-boyfriend it's just it's like I don't know. I, I feel like I want to say it shouldn't, shouldn't be as big of a deal as she made it out to be. But I, on the other hand, I understand why it is a big deal. So I guess just from from my perspective, it's irritating that Lorelai still holds her daughter to this standard of the standard of perfection of like, oh, you make lists. It's like, OK, well, I, mean, I don't want to make lists anymore. Like, leave me alone kind of thing. Yeah, you know? but I think mm, no, Jeffrey, no. <laughs> I think <laughs> her pointing out that she makes lists and this is not her I don't think it was a way to say like you shouldn't do that anymore like 
not you shouldn't do that anymore. But I don't think like like you said, like maybe I don't want to make lists anymore. That's fine. I think your mother would be totally fine if you wanted to throw caution to the wind and not make a pro con list once in your life. But maybe not with something like this that has the potential to ruin a marriage. And then she even says, like, what if he doesn't leave his wife? You know, yeah. like then you're emotionally invested. I really do think that I think the whole conversation, everything she's telling Rory is 100% accurate. You know, like Rory's sitting, the more the conversation goes on, Rory's getting more and more immature. Of like, well, he took off his wedding ring. Like, oh my God, are you serious? Yeah. Like, are you fucking kidding me? And then when she finally gets to like, he's my Dean. Like, no, he's not. And of course, like sometimes you don't want to hear the truth from your mother, right? But like, it's just, no. Yeah, I mean, like, what? I'm sorry. <laughs> like, to cl- I guess to clarify what I meant, I think just in just in the, in the case of this episode, this argument, this confrontation, I like I'm kind of neutral in terms of I guess there's no like right or wrong side, I guess, but it's like I'm neutral in terms of whose perspective is the winner, I guess, for lack of a better term. It's just like. Oh, honey, there are no winners in this episode. <laughs> I know, and that's why it's recipe for disaster, I'm sure. it's. I, I don't know. Just, like, I do know that we do know that later on in the beginning of season five, I think I think Lorelai just comes to peace a bit more with the fact that what she did happened and moving on from it and whatever. I think they, I think they do reach some common ground, as they tend to always do. I think just in this instance, after having just the final the final hurdle of having Luke and Lorelai get together and we have this mess and I'm just I'm just aggravated yeah and I think the part that really gets me also is that um (laughs) Rory says I hate you for ruining this for me yeah that's very once again (laughs) yeah like number one very high school number two once again I'm gonna say the a word the audacity because (laughs) This is your the biggest night of your mother's life, as mm. you said to your grandparents. Um, you're ruining everything for her because she came home really excited to tell you that everything's happening between her and Luke, right? Um, and she has to come home and find her daughter. Who cares if her daughter was having sex? I really don't think Lorelai's the type of parent to be like, oh my God, she had sex. I think it's really, you know, she had sex with a married man. Um, but yeah, when she says I hate you for ruining this for me, I just want to smack her. Um, yeah. Because if anyone's ruining anything for anyone, it's you ruining things for Lorelai, you selfish Victorian ghost. Like, <laughs> oh just like, shut the fuck up. <laughs> and like, I just, I can't. Like, he's my dean. Like, it's not kindergarten and he's not a toy. Yeah. Like, I can't. And I think the fact that Lorelai is just, you know, telling her all these things, she obviously doesn't want to hear them Mm -hmm. um and the more Lorelai just pushes the more she's starting to realize like oh I fucked up (laughs) yeah like I think that's just at the center of everything is there's so many emotions at play and it's just another another nod to the brilliance of the writing in this season and in this season finale because there's just so much to ju- like so many emotions to juggle and that's why I have like I have thoughts on what Lorelai says and I have thoughts on what Roy says and I have thoughts on the act the deed itself it's just it's too much and that's why I'm like 
I can't I can't pick any one perspective because I have I have I have thoughts I have too many of them. I know it's a lot. It's a lot. This this episode, just the last ten minutes of this episode, are it's it, it's a lot. I know because I think I think I'm also conflicted because like I wanted more of her. I didn't want like regardless of Dean being married, I didn't want her with Dean at all. You know, so it's yeah. like yeah. I don't know. I'm I'm flustered. I I'm just I'm flustered. <laughs> no, I know it's 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 too much. Um. like regardless of how you feel like even if you are up until this point because there there are still some people who are like he wasn't that bad he was a great boyfriend he wasn't toxic what are you talking about you you have to admit that her sleeping with a married man isn't it's not the Rory that we know Mm. and it's also just not a good human trait (laughs) Yeah, especially when people try to justify Dean as not being toxic or not that bad. It's like, I just want to, it's them I want to slap and shake. For sure. I mean, (laughs) like, I don't know how you come away from this episode thinking that Dean wasn't manipulative. Mm -hmm. Even if you didn't see it up until this point, this episode, there's so many red flags. Oh, yes. So I don't. Mm-hmm. I think there's a lot of red flags in the, the second half of, she, of season four alone, and that's why I kept bringing them up and saying like soul sucking dementor because it was all a foreshadow and all manipulation leading to this one grand big manipulation. <laughs> yeah, it's it's the biggest manipulation. Yes. Um, I had some other little things that I wanted to talk about that we obviously didn't have time to get into because there's so much else going on. Um, first, I want to say that Sally Struthers is absolutely amazing in this episode. She is. We don't talk about her enough, but she's comedy goals. Mm-hmm. Um, Taylor brings up Barbara Streisand and Rosalind Kind at the inn. <laughs> Taylor, are you gay? Yeah. We've already said this. I know, but like, <laughs> Taylor, you're fucking gay. <laughs> Name me one straight man who knows what Ros- who Rosalind Kind is. I was gonna um, before I, before you said that I was like well I know who they are but that's not telling friends. But you're gay. <laughs> well duh. <laughs> Anyways, um, and then I wanted to, and then I just wanted to point out the fact that when Luke is, uh, no, sorry, when Kirk is asking Luke, um, to intervene if he has night terrors, he says that he and Lulu have never spent the night together, but they've had a lot of sex. Does it surprise you that Kirk has had sex? No, but I'm thinking he's exaggerating the amount. (laughs) (laughs) Um, When do you think Kirk lost his virginity? Uh, Probably with Lulu. Really? I'm going to guess, yeah. You're going to guess with Lulu? Mm. See, I think think Kirk lost his virginity to an older lady. Okay. I can see Kirk losing his virginity to an older woman. Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. But then, like, Lulu being his second. You know what I mean? All right. Uh, okay. I guess there's some uh, Kirk fan fiction incoming here, you guys. No, I'm good. No, no I'm good. <laughs> I just, in my head, I'm like, yeah, Kirk seems like the type to befriend an older woman. Maybe. In another life. Maybe. And I think that's it for this episode. It was just way too much. I'm sure yeah, we, I think... could... I'm sure <laughs> I think we didn't get the half the shit we wanted to get to, but... No, I think we've uh, talked for far too long already. <laughs> this might be our longest episode yet. I think we say that every single week. <laughs> Probably. We'll see. Jeffrey, where can they find us? Um, They can follow us 
on Instagram at Gilmore Girls Podcast, on Twitters at Gilmore Podcast, and you can email us should you should you choose uh, Gilmore Podcast at gmail.com. And since this is our season finale, I just wanted to give yet another shout out to everyone and anyone who listens. And listens regularly to us yelling at each other on a weekly basis. I sound like a broken record, but it really does shock me and floor me that so many of you uh, take time out of your lives to listen to us so uh, diligently and uh, regularly. So thank you. We would not still be doing this without all of your love and support and kindness, uh, especially Karen and Michelle, who uh, their constant support is uh, just very touching and overwhelming at times. But uh, thank you for just always being there and listening and having a having a voice in the void. I suppose. Thank you. <laughs> for sure, it's been uh, a great four seasons. We actually don't know when we're going to be back for season five. We need a break. Um, <laughs> we've been doing this consistently for I think four months now yeah. for episode four so we need a little bit of a break but have no fear we will be back we just don't know when and in the meantime we might have a, some surprises up our sleeve but who knows yes uh one or more surprises i guess uh you will have to uh, stay tuned for that so don't go too far away don't go too far we'll be back in the meantime and <laughs> you know we're all gonna be on the interwebs and the social medias so don't worry about that yes you can always find us wherever you always find us <laughs> exactly and uh, that's it. That's a wrap on season four. Thank yes. you so much for being here. We will see you when we see you. I don't yes. know when that is, but we will do it. <laughs> Sounds good. Bye, guys.